Welcome to Making Sense of the Madness. I'm your host, Sean Morgan, stepping in temporarily for John Michael Chambers. Today, we have a great show for you. We have that amazing Patrick King, a regular citizen from Alberta, Canada, who has a winning legal strategy against the deep state to force them to present evidence that the COVID-19 virus has been isolated, which they've been unable to do thus far. So we're gonna get into all of that. We're also gonna have Alexandra Bruce from Forbidden Knowledge TV on with the latest from her research. And James Grunvig's also gonna be joining to help me interview Patrick King with some good questions to see how we can replicate his successes here in the US. So let's get into the breaking news. Well, the Biden admin has announced that they're going to announce soon that mandatory vaccinations are required for active duty U.S. military. The U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, the former Raytheon guy, is expected to announce a mandatory vaccine policy for all 1.3 million active duty U.S. military on Friday. It will follow a similar mandate issued last week for all federal employees and on-site contractors, including the Defense Department's civilian employees. And so what happened recently is one third of the active duty military has refused the vaccine. So what you have is about uh, half a million people who don't want to take this vaccine who are now going to be in a situation where they're going to have to choose between, uh, you know, breaking the law, supposedly, or acting truly lawfully and constitutionally. So this is this could be crossing a red line. This could be a really important moment in time in our republic when the people who have sworn to uphold and protect the Constitution now find themselves in a precarious situation. Uh, so I think it's going to be good to keep a very close eye on what our military chooses to do in this situation. Uh, the Biden administration is really getting aggressive with these mandates, and they're they're not afraid to to do things that are blatantly illegal to see if people will comply. And I know we have a lot of patriots in the military. You're probably going to have thousands or hundreds of thousands of patriots who will not comply with this. So that's going to be a really interesting showdown to watch. Well, uh, Senator Rand Paul is urging Americans to resist Pelosi and the petty tyrants. He's saying they can't arrest us all. They can't keep all your kids home from school. They can't keep every government building closed although I've got a long list of ones that they should, we don't have to accept the mandates, lockdowns, and harmful policies of the petty tyrants and feckless bureaucrats. We can simply say no, not again. That's according to Senator Rand Paul. Well, Biden has approved the first Taiwan arms sales of his presidency, ratcheting up China tensions further. After a series of U.S.-backed arms sales packages to Taiwan during Trump's last year in office, severely ratcheting tensions to where they are now, President Biden's administration on Wednesday approved its first arms sales to the island claimed by China. Bloomberg is describing the potential $750 million deal. The contract by BAE Systems must first pass through congressional review. So we'll see if Congress approves this. But very interesting that supposedly Joe Biden's owned by Beijing, and yet he's doing this thing that is exactly what Donald Trump would do, which is helping our ally Taiwan defend itself against China. So who's really in control? That's what I want to know. And next, 12 of 13 most vaccinated countries in the world are now listed by the CDC as a travel risk. 
That's according to the Gateway Pundits. So you can check out all of the stats in the article there. Uh, but just very interesting that you know these most vaccinated countries uh, have very high rates of COVID, and so it you know perhaps the high rates are caused by the vaccinated people. You know you know that's a possibility that you have to uh, you know consider. And the Biden administration plans to require foreign visitors to the U.S. to be vaccinated for COVID. So talk about a lot of vaccine mandates coming down the pike here. We've got the New York City mandates happening now. You've got the the federal workers and contractors. You, you've got the military. And now everyone who's not an American who wants to visit the United States is now going to be mandated to take an experimental gene therapy that's not even a vaccine for something with a 99% recovery rate. This is madness. This is crossing the line. And this is, this is just making the United States um, a totalitarian regime. This is total medical tyranny. And if I wasn't the one here on the news delivering this stuff, I wouldn't believe it myself. Things have aggressively just moved so fast recently regarding this push that uh, it's making me think that we're really heading towards a final showdown between the deep state and the white hats, because this has got to be considered a move of desperation on the part of the deep state. As another example of this, 6 million COVID vaccine shots are supposedly needed, according to bureaucrats in, in Australia, if they want to end the lockdown in Sydney. So the bureaucrats in Australia saying, hey, you want us to end this lockdown? Well, half of the entire population has to get vaxxed. So they are holding their own citizens hostage. And Tucker Carlson has really you know, been hot on this story, talking about how the CDC has really ended private property rights temporarily in the United States. He says that the CDC's Rochelle Walensky announced that she has decided to nationalize America's rental properties. Millions and millions of them from Maine to California, tenants are no longer required to pay rent. Property owners cannot evict them under any circumstances. Making someone pay to live on your property is now a federal crime. Try it and you can wind up in prison with hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines. And the same at the same time, you should know property owners will still be required to pay the banks that hold their mortgages. There's no moratorium on mortgages. Why? The banks are huge Democratic donors and they're getting the treatment they paid for. Sandy Cortez and the squad aren't calling for the banks to do their part. It's property owners who will suffer, many of them members of the rapidly disappearing American middle class. It's hard to overstate what a momentous change this is. It means, among other things, that private property no longer exists in the United States. You thought you owned your home. Not anymore. Rochelle Walensky does. She'll decide who can live there, under what circumstance, and for how long. Where did Rochelle Walensky of the CDC get the power to do this? To suspend private property rights in America? The answer is she simply asserted the power. She claimed she had the authority, and no one stopped her from exercising it. That doesn't seem very American. Shouldn't somebody vote on this? If we're going to continue to pretend this is a democracy and you hear that on television constantly, then shouldn't our elected lawmakers make the laws? Nope, they're not going to. Nancy Pelosi has refused to call a vote on the matter and she runs the Congress. She decides. And most Republicans haven't said a word. So that's from Tucker Carlson. He's really, you know, over the target here and unafraid 
it goes to show that not everybody on mainstream media and at Fox News is complete controlled opposition. Tucker Carlson is really uh, doing his job, and I commend him for that. And we have to stand up about this issue. We can't have these government agencies trying to legislate. We have to call our representatives to get them involved on this issue. We cannot have them take away our property rights. So we are going to go to a brief commercial break, and we'll be back with our guest, Patrick King. Hello, everyone. This is John Michael Chambers, the creator and founder of American Media Periscope. In early 2021, a short squeeze in silver was initiated. What does this mean? It means that individual investors can take advantage of a global supply shortage in silver that the large money center banks will have to end their contracts with physical delivery of an asset that is becoming scarce to non-existent. Low supply plus high demand will cause prices to increase rapidly. The only way to take advantage of a short squeeze is to own physical silver. Call my good friend, Dr. Kirk Elliott over there at Sovereign Advisors. They have over 27 years experience identifying these trends so you can maximize your returns while at the same time minimizing your risk. Call them today before prices go up any further. 720-605-3900. Tell them John Michael Chambers sent you. All right, we are back with Patrick King. Patrick, can you see me okay? I can see you great. Okay, great. Well, Patrick, you were recently on the Stu Peters show, and uh, you guys really laid out the whole story of how in Alberta you were representing yourself pro se against the bureaucrats there. Uh, can you give us a, a timeline of the events, and then we'll bring on James Grunvig to ask you questions right after that. Yeah, you bet. Uh, first and foremost, thanks for having me on your show. I really appreciate all the all the notoriety and spotlight for this, but I, I really want to just tell everybody I'm just a guy. I'm a guy that was standing up for myself uh, and fighting back against what was going on with these COVID restrictions. And uh, at the time, on December 5th, uh, we were holding a rally here in uh, Red Deer, Alberta, Canada. And when we were doing that, uh, I ended up obtaining what's called a ticket for $1,200 for contravening the Public Health Act. Uh, under Section 73, Subsection 1, I was told that I was in a group larger than 10 which means I was in a, I was not social distancing um, is what they were claiming. And I got the opportunity to get it into court. Uh, a lot of people here in Canada who've received these tickets, taken them to constitutional challenges, but they are, uh, they were, they were thrown out as soon as they tried to do the constitutional challenge on them because under section two of our charter of rights and freedoms, we have the freedom of peaceful assembly, the freedom of a uh, uh, speech and uh, the freedom to protest. So they threw them out right away, but I opted out of something. I did something different. I opted to take it to criminal court. And the reason I took it to criminal court is because we kind of knew a few things that we could do. And under self-representation in a court of Queen's bench, which is what it's called here in Canada and court of Alberta provincial court of Canada. Um, I self-represented myself and in doing so that allows me a little bit more freedoms than what a lawyer would be allowed to do. And what it does is it, it puts the judge in a position where the judge has to advocate for you and direct you in the proper direction to, um, to go about um, litigations against yourself. 
So in doing so, um, uh, the judge had to direct me in, in, a, in, a, in a way that uh, was able to subpoena our chief medical officer of health, but it wasn't without some, some, uh, some objections from the prosecution side. And the prosecution, under, under the um, self-representation, you get to address your accuser. So if somebody is accusing you of doing something, you get to address your accuser and you get to cross-examine them yourself. Now, in doing so, I explained how I needed Dina Hinshaw, our chief medical officer of health, to be present in the courtroom so that I could take, uh, that I can ask and address and cross-examine my accuser. Well, the Crown Prosecutor stands up and she holds up a piece of paper. And on that piece of paper, it says, I, Dina Hinshaw, formulate this public health act under the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, I said, therefore, your honor, objection, this, uh, sorry, prosecutor says that I have Dina Hinshaw on paper right now. And I said, no, sorry, your honor, that is not Dina Hinshaw. That is a piece of paper. I require the living, breathing person, Dina Hinshaw, the, who formulated this, um, this public health act for the simple basis is she says right there, I, Dina Hinshaw. And the, the judge says, you're absolutely right, Mr. King. You do get the opportunity to address your accuser. So she quashed that objection, and uh, I was able to file a subpoena um, for Dina Hinshaw, our Chief Medical Officer of Health, and I specifically requested a specific means of, um, of <laughs> I guess it's questioning or evidence that I, I requested. And what I requested straight up from them was... Um, and I'll just read it to you straight out because this is this is something that everybody can do. Um, and all I did was said, I request all white papers describing the isolation of the COVID-19, also known as SARS-CoV-2 virus in human beings, directly from a sample taken from a diseased patient where the patient's sample was not first combined with any other source of genetic material. Note, the word isolate indicates a thing is separated from all other material surrounding it. I am not requesting white papers where isolation of SARS-CoV-2 refers to the culturing of something in a lab, the performance of an amplification test or PCR test, which we know has now been rescinded and taken out uh, due to false uh, negatives or false positives, the sequencing of something. To clarify, I'm requesting via disclosure all white papers showing isolation of the SARS-CoV-2 virus in human beings in your possession or in the possession of Alberta Health Ministry as these white papers would have been integral in the crafting of the statutes made under the Public Health Act here in Alberta. So when I requested that and I wanted those documents, I get hit by a procedural violation. It's called a procedural violation. And what it was, was once I subpoenaed Dina Hinshaw, they came at me with a, um, a subpoena on at 11.53 on a Sunday morning to be in private chambers Monday morning, less than 24 hours, to quash what they say quash. You can't say squash in the court. It's quash because the dangling modifiers and the verbiage they use in a courtroom is, is insane. But uh, they asked me straight up. They said, uh, you know, um, or uh, I tell the judge when I get into the special chambers, Your Honor, this is a procedural violation. You cannot serve somebody a subpoena having them in court within 24 hours. And the judge says, absolutely, you're at 100% correct. But what they did was, is they got me on what's called a jurisdictional challenge. And a jurisdictional challenge, here's how it went. The judge has to advocate for me, correct? Has to tell me which direction I needed to go, which, which she did. 
Now that, that judge sent me in the wrong direction and she allowed me to have a justice of the peace to subpoena Dina Hinshaw, which I did twice. So upon subpoena and Dina Hinshaw, the first time I never got a, I never got a reply, but the second time, this is where I got them scrambled. Now she's like saying, um, the jurisdictional challenge means a justice of the peace does not have the authority to subpoena a government official. And that's what I get when I get in a court on a Monday morning. And I was like, your honor, that doesn't matter. This is a procedural violation. Please adjourn this matter till Wednesday and I will be in court Wednesday and we can deal with that matter then. The judge overstepped the procedural violation and stated, no, we are going to go ahead and quash the subpoena. You cannot get her into the court. But not without her openly stating that they had to back up their, their reasoning for quashing the subpoena. And she openly stated on document that the chief medical officer of health does not have the material evidence Mr. King is even requesting, which means they don't have in their possession the, met, the uh, isolation of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, and, which would have been the major backing behind their public health act. Now we go into court on Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning, we walk into court. I attempt to get it adjourned so that I can file this paperwork the appropriate way because the judge pointed me in the wrong direction. That was the second procedural violation. Upon doing so, I get a message saying that there's going to be two special prosecutors in the room. And I don't know who they are. And I get a letter saying that they are going to be in there. And it turns out there are two attorney general prosecutors from Ottawa. These attorney generals from Ottawa are attorney general prosecutors from Ottawa. They represent the queen. Now my matter has just switched from Her Majesty the Queen versus Pat King. Now I'm getting the queen. So I'm like, what is going on here? Now, under the jurisdictional challenge, they got me on that. I couldn't put the chief medical officer on health on. But what I was able to do was I said to the judge, Your Honor, for and on the record, the chief medical officer of health of Alberta does not have the the material evidence I am requesting. And she says, yes, Mr. King, you're absolutely correct. They do not have what the evidence you're requesting. And that is in the transcripts. We're, we're trying to get these transcripts right now because there's a lot of people asking about them, but it's in the transcripts where she says it. Now, in doing what I did, I, for one, I, I ended up losing on a jurisdictional challenge and a ticket I still ended up having to pay. But what I did do is I was able to get them on the record. Now, this is on the record. There's one more person going ahead of me who's going to do the same thing. They are going to openly say the same stuff I did, but they're going the route that the judge was supposed to direct me in the last time, but they didn't. Now, I'm not done, nor will I be done. I am going to continue this. I have grounds for things to come in the future that we're going to do. I actually meet with some people tomorrow. But what it, what it has done is it's openly had the judge, there openly has the medical professionals in Alberta, Canada, stating they don't have the material evidence. Now, it's not a coincidence that right after my court case, that the Alberta Ministry of Health drops all COVID mandates. They drop restrictions, they drop quarantine restrictions, they drop traveling restrictions, they drop mask mandates, they drop... Uh, the job restrictions, so no kids have to get to jobs anymore. And then um, I find out that somebody else that was in with me who got the same ticket as me, who was there the same day when we got the ticket, she had already been found guilty on the ticket. 
but then gets a letter in July, at the end of July, after my court case, and they had rescinded her ticket. They've taken it back. So now that now she doesn't have to pay this ticket anymore. Now, people are saying around that, oh, you didn't do this, you didn't do this. But I'll tell you right now, I most certainly did. The only way that they would have dropped these mandates and get ahead of it is because we've been talking about this a long time. The government's going to see us fighting back. And in Alberta, we're fighting really hard. And there's groups like uh, Ethics uh, Over Fear. Uh, there's Lawyers for Truth. There's these organizations that are, are fighting back. And 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 uh, and what's happening is you're seeing what we're what all our hard work has come to fruition. But what I'm trying to say is is that I was just a small cog in a wheel, but I was the cog that actually broke uh, broke the machine. I now they're going to sit back and try and paint this as it was their idea the whole time. It wasn't their idea. They're trying to get ahead of this. They're trying to make it look like. They were the ones that made these mandates drop. They were the ones that were going to do this. But we know in the in the court of public opinion, we know and, and, and Canadians know now that we were able to put them on the record. And that's the exact thing that we needed to do. We needed to show that we could get them on the record stating they don't have the evidence. That evidence is the scientific evidence that would have backed up all your policies. All you had to do, and these guys are good at falsifying documents. We all know the documents they falsify on a daily basis. All they had to do was falsify a document. But they weren't, they weren't prepared for what I was asking for. They had no idea what I was asking for. And when I asked for it, they, when I said it, and then the judge herself says, you're right, Mr. King, for and on the record, they do not have the material evidence. The chief medical officer of health does not have the material evidence that you are requesting. The stenographer and the clerk were typing, and both of them went, their jaws hit the floor. They couldn't believe what they saw or what they heard. And almost like they didn't know if they should be even typing this up. So it was absolutely awesome what happened. But at the same time, it wasn't just me. Uh, and I don't, I, I understand that I'm in the forefront of this and I, that's okay. But there was a lot of people, there's a lot of Canadians out there that are helping. There are a lot of Canadians that are going through this. Um, the reason I took this a little bit more personal, I've lost two friends due to, due to suicide during this whole pandemic, because it's, it's kind of, you know, the mental health for some people was pretty tough, um, as well as my own son has taken the, the vaccine. So this became very personal. So I went really hard and struggled and tried to get this, this exposed. Now, we have other organizations that were trying to do the same thing. But for some reason, they stayed lip sealed. They didn't want to talk about what was going on. Well, I'm just a guy. I don't care. This needs to get out. And each one of these cronies and these elites and these people out there who think that they can just play that chess game on the backs of everyday normal citizens, well, that time is over. And it's time for the people to stand up and show that we can do this ourselves. Yeah, th these petty bureaucrats are not going to give up their power voluntarily. And so it takes people like you, regular citizens, standing up to them, getting them on the record, and then they get really afraid of the legal liability they have to continue to perpetrate these crimes. As long as people are just quietly complying, they're just going to keep on going, following the orders from their puppet masters. But as soon as the people start to rise up, put some pressure on them and start showing them how much liability they have, then they start backtracking, right? And that's exactly what the province did. And that's amazing. You don't have any proof that was specifically because of you. But look, it was a, certainly a coincidence of timing, wasn't it? Let's bring on James Grunvig. He has some questions prepared for you. Right on. 
Patrick, good seeing you, man. Love the story. Nice to meet you. Thank you, sir. You too. Uh, simple question, 2020, before the vaccines even hit hit the uh, public in Canada and in, in America, uh, at what point did you realize that the planned sham scamdemic was a fraud? At the beginning, in the middle? Well, what did it take for you to kind of wake up? I, well, at first, for us, the, the uh, we call us the, they call us the conspiracy theorists or whatever. We've always been watching what's going to happen, and when it first hit, we thought, "Oh, it's either going to be a biological or it's going to be a nuclear weapon or some, or some kind of dirty bomb planted somewhere." When they came out with this, we were like, "Oh!" At first, we were like, "Oh my God, this is okay. Here it comes, guys. Here's the biological weapon that they were going to put out." But the holes in the story right away, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. It doesn't need to be an M95 mask. It could be any mask you want. I'm occupational health and safety and environment, and I know deal, dealing with airborne contaminants, also working in, uh, in uh, hygiene and in occupational hygiene, knowing and being also being uh, an H2S instructor, which deals with noxious gases such as hydrogen sulfides and breathing apparatuses, self-contained breathing apparatus. When you're playing with viruses and you're playing with biological stuff, you're not walking around with a, with a surgical mask on. You're not going to do that. You're going to wear a self-contained mask with a breathing line coming in. And we started to see this. Then China started putting out little clips of dead people everywhere. And there was one video in particular where they're showing these people sitting in, or laying on the streets in, in Wuhan, China. And the guy reaches up and scratches his head. And we were like, what? And we just started bombarding the internet with it. Then we start seeing, um, you're, you're listening. Where's all the ambulances? There's no ambulances. And then a group of us made phone calls to uh, funeral homes and asked the funeral directors, how's business? Is business going pretty good? And we've got it on rec on, on, on Phil, our, um, recorded where the business or the, the funeral directors are saying, no, business is, business is normal. So it's just a matter of being a proactive citizen to pick the holes apart in all of this. And, it happened to come out right before the election down in the States. And that was the other part of it. I was like, okay, this is going to be how they get Trump. They're going to try and make sure, make it out to be like he didn't do anything properly. Um, and, and this was going to happen. So it was just too many holes uh, in, in their narrative, too many holes in the story. Now, we've seen what they've done with the H1N1. We've seen what they did with SARS before back in, uh, in the early part of the of 2000s. They were holding parties in Ontario, Canada, with 500,000 strong trying to raise money for SARS while this pandemic was going on. Well, now we're in SARS again, and now we're locked up. Now our schools are shut down. Now businesses are shut down. As an occupational health and safety guy, if you put all the mandates in place and the social distancing and all the plexiglass and you only allow a certain amount of people in your stores at a time, there's no reason why an OHS officer can't come in and say, yeah, I deem this approved. All businesses can stay open as long as they follow the government mandates. They said, no, you couldn't do that. You're not essential. You're not an essential business. Pardon me, but we can go have a concert in a, or we can go have a, a Walmart party and a, and a Costco concert. We can go hang out in these big box stores by the hundreds and, uh, and wearing these aerated masks that hold nothing back, but maybe water droplets. They don't hold back viruses, which is a 10 times smaller and microscopic that will fit in between this. But we can do this. 
it just did not seem right. And that's, that's where it started. We all pretty much started to look at this going, this is, this is nuts. This isn't right. Got it. I have one more question along the same lines. The, yes. the vaccines came out in December of last year in the United States. So at what point did you know that the vaccines were going to be uh, deadly, injurious, a health issue? The, at what point did you did you know it ahead of time or at some point in Canada, like, all right, this, this is really strange? Some of the people that we worked with who knew about these vaccines, who are immunologists and virologists, part of this uh, um uh, ethics over fear doctors group these men know that the SARS-CoV virus was never isolated they also know that all the testing uh, subjects on these these gene therapies which are what they are these mRNA gene therapy vaccines all the animals that were tested on they all died every single one of them and if they didn't die right away they died later on due to failure to critical um, uh, organ failure basically heart attacks liver failure kidney failure um, there's not one animal that's lived from this vaccine that they've been playing with. Um, then we start seeing the, and as an occupational health and safety guy, we start seeing the ingredients of them. And one of the ingredients is SM, SM-102, I believe. I can't, I don't have my paperwork with me right now. I think it's SM-102. It's a known carcinogenic. And that is, uh, it's 100% on the SDS sheet or safety data sheets for this product. Uh, and they're putting it in it. Um, that's going to attack um, your, your vital organs and start causing cancer cells to mutate even faster. Now they're starting to put these into people and we're watching this. First off, if you have a vaccine for this, then no longer is it a public health emergency. If you have a vaccine, they should have lifted the emergency right, right away. They didn't lift the emergency. Now they got this so-called vaccine. I'm not gonna stick something in my body without knowing what, what it is. I've been vaccinated. I'm not anti-vax. I'm not saying that um, don't get vaccinated. What I'm saying is, is this is still in the experimental stages. This is a test run. We have all been guinea pigs. I've never got the, this, any of these vaccines yet. But the people that are getting them, you're a guinea pig for this. And we're watching this and we're just like, there's no way that you're going to stick this stuff in my body. There's no way you're going to put this in my children's bodies or in other people's bodies. And... Unfortunately for myself, my son went and got the vax. Um, I pray that he's all right. Um, but at the same time, you think I, I did something now. If something happens to my son because of this vaccine, I will be, let's just say it won't be nice for the people that put it in him. Very good. Sean? I guess you could relate to that, Mr. Grunvig, because your son also was injured by a vaccine and that, that fuels your research and, and what you do today. So, um, you know, this, this is how I feel about it too. I mean, uh, although my child ha is two years old and has never had a vaccine, uh, you know, my father had the vaccine. My, my community members are, are taking this experimental gene therapy and I'm worried for them. And so that's what we're, we're doing here on this program, just trying to, to ask the right questions and, and, and get to the bottom of this. Um, Patrick, it's amazing what you've done because you, you probably felt like you were all alone representing yourself, the only one in the courtroom. You mentioned you had a few organizations that were providing you with knowledge and support. Um, anything else you want to say about, about how people can connect with them and, and pursue some similar strategies as yourself? Um, yeah, for sure. Looking into what we've done here, um, 
I'm proud of our Canadian Patriots up here. Um, a lot of them are taking it hard, and you're right, we are all alone. But we're a tight family. We're a tight group, and we stick together, and the hundreds of thousands of us. Um, but when it comes down to the professionals uh, that are involved in this, um, the one is Ethics Over Fear, and that's the group, what's called the Guelph Nine, uh, run by a gentleman by the name of uh, Wayne Peters. So if you look up Wayne Peters on the internet and uh, look up his organization and what they're doing um, with these doctors, these immunologists, these virologists, uh, and, and Doug Force is another one. He's another gentleman that's working with them. Um, you also look into Ethics Over Fear is uh, the, or did I say that? That's Ethics Over Fear. Um, uh, Lawyers for Truth, sorry. Lawyers for Truth is another organization where the lawyers are getting together and helping everyday citizens pro bono because they won't put their names behind it, but they will teach you, teach you exactly what to do in the right direction. Because honestly, what has this virus done to, or this pandemic, what has it done to each and every one of us? It's put the fear of God in everybody. So even people who are employed in, in, in the government system um, and in the doctors, uh, in the medical fields, and in the, in the lawyers and in the court systems, they want to speak out and they want to help us. But at the same time, they're fearful. And that's it's unfortunate the way it has to be that way. But this is exactly what these huge uh, puppet masters, these elites, these, uh, these, these people that like to play that game of chess on our back, this is what they want. They want to feed that fear. What happens with fear? Fear makes your, your body frequency go down. It makes you depressed. It makes you scared. It totally turns off your human body frequency. Why the six feet with the mask? The six feet with the mask is, all, is not because it's gonna go that far. This thing isn't that smart. It doesn't have a measuring tape to tell you six feet away that it's gonna be, you know, it's gonna get you. If you're six feet, one inch away, you're safe. What it is is the natural heart frequency. Our natural heart frequency beats up to six feet outside of our bodies. And what it does is it, it stops us from being able to have the interaction and the human bodies frequencies vibrating with each other and that's what they did they've kind of pulled this all away from each other and what do you see now you see the increase of suicides you see the increase of drug overdoses because people are looking and turning to things that you know they need to get that back what's the number one way to kill somebody loneliness that's what kills every person the worst is loneliness and that's what they're feeding so these doctors and these they know this these these lawyers they know the inside on the on the on the uh on the judicial system. So they teach us to, we sit in round table meetings like we're doing today in this, in this interview set. We sit and we learn and we write and we, we do all the stuff that we need to take down. Um, I just found out Ireland did the same thing I did. Somebody in Ireland just went ahead, filed the same documents, SARS-CoV-2, they want the isolation of it, and Ireland can't prove it now. This is starting to snowball across the globe now because people are catching on. And and I, my hat's off to all these people that are helping in the background. Um, my I, my heart goes out to you, uh, Mr. Grunvig, about your son or your your, your child with that. Um, my son's in the same boat. Now, I hope he's okay. I hope it's going to be all right. He's been okay so far. Um, but I do know from family members that we've had a few people that have gone and got this shot, and they're dead now. So whether one's okay, one's dead, that's okay. No, anybody dying from this, is not okay. Anybody harmed from this is not okay. Now you're gonna tell people that you're gonna start not allowing kids five years and younger to go to school unless they're vaccinated with this experimental gene therapy? Uh, sorry.
I'm sorry. Every mother bear, every mama bear out there, every papa bear out there should be standing in protest and fighting that because it's my body, my choice. It's okay for the lefties to say that, but now we say that and all of a sudden we're we're radical, we're crazy, we're, we're conspiracy theorists. No, no. We're just exercising our rights as Canadians and as Americans and as people across the globe to question what you're doing. And if you can't give us the answers to those questions, well, I'm sorry, then I'm not going to do it. And we're going to say no. And if that's going to get me thrown in jail, throw me in jail. I'll probably make that whole jail rise up and we'll have uh, tea and crumpets every day at three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> Somebody has to take a risk, right? I mean, freedom isn't won by just sitting at home and complying. Uh, and you don't have to be an intellectual juggernaut. You don't have to be uh, have the legal mind of a brilliant lawyer to go in there and just ask the right questions, right? You don't have to have the, uh, the, the, all of the statutes of the Canadian law memorized. You just have to ask the right questions. And you, you're over the target by asking about the isolation of the virus. And now they're talking about the Delta variant. There's no proof there's a Delta you know, variant isolated either. So, you what know, are the um, symptoms of the Delta variant? The symptoms of the Delta variant is the sniffles. Are you kidding me? This is what they openly put on paper. The, sim the symptoms of the Delta variant are the vac vaccine injuries. Oh, that's 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 a nice trick. They mirror yeah. each other. Yeah, 100%. So, Patrick, you have been censored by Google and others. <laughs> and you, you've also had the controlled opposition uh, in Canada, Rebel News, try to discredit you. So how have you been able to get the word out? What are some of the platforms or what are some of the technologies you've been able to use to, to reach uh, citizens out there? The best thing that I use is, is boots on the ground, rubber to pavement. I attend these rallies with hundreds of thousands of people. We've been in rallies in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Uh, there was over 300,000 people there. Uh, I've been to every major city across Canada speaking about this stuff. Uh, and it just by word of mouth, like Paul Revere running, you know, from door to door, the British are coming, the British are coming. Basically, that's how we've been doing it. Now, just recently, um, you're right. I have been banned from Google, and I wear that trophy proud. I cannot use any Google product. Uh, <laughs> it's a big, big piece of paper that I received. I think, if I'm not mistaken, only Donald Trump was the other one who got one of those. <laughs> so I wear that badge proud. Facebook has had me banned for the last nine months. I haven't been able to talk on Facebook. Um, on, but they just gave me back one of my accounts just the other night. Um, I got Instagram about a month ago back. They finally found my way around to get into Instagram. So I was able to get my Instagram account. And uh, believe it or not, the kids app TikTok. TikTok has uh, exploded. And in, TikTok, in the TikTok realm, I've been able to get it out. But I do have, like I said, we have a great network of patriots across Canada and across the United States and, and, and UK and Australia. Um, once we built this network of people, um, it's kind of like anonymous 2020. Um, we all work together. We all share information. So when videos come out, we pass these videos off to all these people across the globe and then they get them out. And then we have absolute phenomenal people like yourself here at American Media Periscope, Sean and Stu Peters. And I did a couple other ones the other night with the Patriot Media. Um, you know, you, your podcasts and your groups, American Nut Radio, uh, it's people such as yourselves and, and organizations such as yourselves that are helping us get our messages out. 
And my only message is to, uh, to your followers or to people across the world that are watching this is don't put your faith in one person, put your faith in, in, in yourself, but you can use, definitely use the tools that we've done, but it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't take a professional in the law room. It doesn't take a doctor. It doesn't, we can do this. We are the people, we, the people tell them what to do. And we hired them to do that job. If they're not going to do that job, well, we also have the ability to fire them from that job. And, well, we've proved a huge amount of incompetency here in Alberta, here in our legislature. Let's not even start to talk about Ottawa and, and that little uh, turd burglar down there. We'll get to him on another day. But um, here in my own province of Alberta, we've proven the incompetency of our Alberta pr provincial government. Now watch what Alberta does. Well, now I got a, one question to add on to it. See, you keep using the word incompetence. Isn't there corruption as well? Oh, 100%. Ooh, worse than we all, all know. They are hiding money in shell companies that Canada is actually known as the money laundering capital of the world. We allow in our business sector opportunities for these organizations to open shell companies and funnel their illegal funded money through our banking system and then it comes out. But that's another thing. Our governments are taking kickbacks, paybacks, everybody from the WHO organization, from Big Pharma, from all of them, uh, Mayor Nancy. So we've got here, and here's a sample of a, a exact perfect example of the corruption. We have our chief medical officer of health rescinding all mass mandates, rescinding quarantine, travel restrictions, uh, vaccine restrictions, all this stuff. She's taking it all back saying we're going to treat it like the common flu. Now you've got the mayor of Edmonton and the mayor of Calgary, Alberta, uh, saying, no, 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 no. We want masks on. We want more masks. We want more mandates. And those two gentlemen are open proof of the ones who took money. They need to push their narrative in their cities because of what they've done. Now they want, no, no, I, I can't do this. My handler is going to, you know, my handler is going to have my head if I don't keep pushing this. Uh, same with Ontario, Doug Ford um, and what he's doing to his province out there. Uh, I think it's Guillaume or, or uh, Goulet in Quebec. Now he's coming out and he's saying, no, 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 we want passports. We want passports. We want vaccine passports. Um it's because the narrative's been shattered, and now these people know, uh-oh, we're in trouble, and something's going to happen. So we need to start invoking and forcing more of this. When you look at the citizens here in Alberta, we have the chief medical officer of health as well as the legislative government stating that we don't have to wear masks anymore. We don't have to even treat this like a, like a pandemic. It's just a flu. And now you got the mayors of the major cities saying, oh, no, we supersede what the government says. That, that alone makes you want to question it. Like once you're awake and you see this, it's just like, holy cow. These guys definitely took money. They're definitely helping push this narrative. But now the citizens are waking up even more, like by the hundreds every day. Um, my emails are blowing up, everything. How did you do it? Can we do this? Can we? Absolutely. Um, the corruption, unfortunately, I think that's a that's a job for a military. <laughs> I wish our military had a backbone, but they don't. I, I fly the military flag in my back, and I because what I do that the reason why I do that is because um, I would never have had the opportunity to stand in a court of law to represent myself if it wasn't for the men and women who died in our armed forces to allow me to have those freedoms, those opportunities. So I stand proud beside our veterans and beside our fallen to make sure that I don't leave this world. Um, in worse shape than it already is because these men and women gave me that opportunity. I will make them proud. And I know right now all over the world, everybody 
all our fallen soldiers, they're rolling in their graves. My grandfather's mad. I can tell him, I can tell you right now, my grandfather's, if he could walk right now, <laughs> he'd crawl right out of there and have their heads. Well, Patrick, I think what you're doing is commendable. You're setting an example, you're educating, and uh, we really appreciate the legal strategies that you've been using. And you're gonna, you're not oh, you're not done yet, are you? I mean, you're just going to keep on rolling with this oh. until we have freedom back. Uh, We're just so getting started, Sean. Just getting started. Thank you so much yeah. for coming on the program, Patrick. Uh, we're going to go to a commercial break, and we'll be back with Alexandra Bruce with all of her updates and research. Thank you. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and I'm coming to you with the most important commercial that I've ever done. All of you know what my pillow and myself have gone through in the last five months in my efforts to bring the truth forward. Well, it's all come down to this. I'm having a cyber symposium on August 10th, 11th, and 12th. This historical event will be live streamed 72 hours straight on my new platform, frankspeech.com. You can help by getting everybody you know to go to frankspeech.com now. To help support this cyber symposium event, I am offering some of the best prices ever on my pillow products but they're only offered at frankspeech.com. Go to frankspeech.com now and use the promo code on your screen or call the 1-800 number below to receive these exclusive MyPillow offers. Thank you and God bless. All right, we're back with researcher Alexandra Bruce from Forbidden Knowledge TV. Come on the show, Alexandra. Tell us what you've been researching lately. Well, that, I just wanted to say that that was so uh, inspirational. <laughs> um, it's he's just the man for the times, and it, it, it's he's every man, and we just all need to be like him. I just I love Patrick King right now. Um, so absolutely, there are so many things happening that many things can get memory hold right now. So I wanted to sort of uh, look at some things that are quite. Uh, amazing that are happening that probably will get memory hold. And one is a, is a study from Judicial Watch. Uh, they um, received uh, 1,160 pages of documents from a FOIA request, and they discovered that the DC Medical Examiner's Office requested the cremation of Ashley Babbitt's remains two days after her murder. Uh, and these were discovered, this request was found um, that there is Ashley Babbitt. And so, and then, you know, about, uh, this was discovered in a bunch of emails. And then one of the emails was sent, uh, was returned with all these Chinese, basically it went through to a Chinese IP. So it, I'll just continue the story here. So Judicial Watch uh, announced Tuesday that it received, you know, 1160 pages of documents from Washington, D.C.'s Office of the Chief Medical examiner related to Air Force veteran and San Diego native Ashley Babbitt. These new documents reveal that the chief medical examiner submitted a request for permission to cremate Babbitt only two days after taking custody of her body and that due to the high profile nature of the Babbitt case, Deputy Chief Medical Examiner Francisco Diaz requested that, the secure, that a secure electronic file with limited access be created uh, with her records. And uh, so her fingerprints were emailed to a person supposedly working for the DC government, which resulted in a, and that was from a, a DC police officer, and um, which resulted in a Microsoft undeliverable messages, uh, you know, returned message in Chinese. 
Okay. Crazy. So, so one of these power brokers in DC is in China, apparently, or is Chinese. And they were trying to get rid of her body and any evidence of the autopsy and the, the way that she died. I just read that they said that the, the shot hit her in the left shoulder, which was didn't strike yeah. me as the um, accurate place where she got shot when you take a look at the video evidence. So, you know, we don't know where she got shot. We don't we don't have access to that that true information. Uh, and her. this is part of the cover up that was caught because of this Freedom of Information Act request. That's right. So um, they haven't identified the shooter. Uh, they they believe they know who it is, um, and but they, it hasn't been officially announced. And uh, she she was unarmed. I mean, she was surrounded by by Capitol police officers behind her. She literally had three cops within two feet of her, behind her. I, if anyone who's seen the footage can see that. And she was unarmed. It was absolutely insane what happened there. And uh, so the records were obtained uh, by Judicial Watch in response to a Freedom of Information Act uh, lawsuit concerning two FOIA requests submitted by Judicial Watch on April 8th, 2021 to the Metropolitan Police Department and to the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner for records and the newly, so just going, going, drilling into the details, uh, and this is what the, the records revealed. On January 8th, 2021, at 7.13 p.m., an application to cremate the body of Babbitt is labeled completed successfully. Copies of the permit are sent to the chief uh, medical examiner officials, Kimberly Hall and Severn Fripp, as well as Melinda Smith, Jennifer Love, Lisa Tebron, Jeanette Bell, and Perlisha Gales. In January, in a January 6, 2021 email sent at 9.48 p.m. from Chief Medical Examiner Official Denise Lyles to Medical Examiner Francisco Diaz. Um, Lyles emails the Chief Medical Examiner Official Jennifer Love an attachment with the message, I am updating the information we received from the Internal Affairs Division regarding the confirmed ID for Ashley Babbitt's case. So already uh, it, it was already, you know, internal affairs is really supposed to, um, it's supposed to examine wrongdoing by within the police department. Okay, that's what internal affairs is for. And uh, these are the prints that were returned from the FBI that the detectives from the internal affairs provided. I dropped them in the e-case file, which is the protected file that they created. Their names are noted below. And Lyles appears to have forwarded the file after receiving it at 9.33 p.m. on January 6th from someone whose name is redacted, okay, in the FOIA request within the Prince George's County, Maryland Police Criminal Investigation Division assigned to the Homicide Unit, FBI Cross-Border Task Force. So that's the unit that was dealing with it. And the file had been sent to that person at 9.30 p.m. on January 6th. Um, at 7.42 that same night, the Chief Medical Examiner Jamie Spand emailed a scanned file called 210106 FBI submission form to Grant Greenwald, manager of the crime scene sciences unit of the DC Department of Forensic Sciences, as well as someone with the email address of spc at leo.gov. Now, leo.gov is a non-existent domain, but in my experience, when I was, uh, I was approached by the, the Danish FBI, I found that they, the, the Danish FBI uh, whose whose emails are actually handled by a Baltic, by a Delaware corporation of all things, they use these these funny um, domain names for their email addresses. So 
I think that that's an FBI email address. I'm not sure, but it reminds me of, of what I saw with the Danish federal investigators who came after me last month. And um, so that's who they sent it to. And they also CC'd a copy to the uh, medical examiner, Francisco Diaz and Jennifer Love asking, please run the attached prints. And the doc this document contained Ashley Babbitt's prints. So then that was forwarded by this Greenwald guy to a David Shumbly, who was an officer with the Metro Police Department. And Shumbly forwards it to this iPhone number at 8.06 p.m. January 6th um, to someone called James Cororoma, who doesn't exist. It's a fake name, okay? And the email was, and actually when you look at the name, it's J-A-M-E-S-E, Jamie's, Jamie's Cororoma. It's not a real name. There's nobody called Jamie's Cororoma. This reminds anywhere. me of James Corney. <laughs> right. It does, it's fake. You know, everything is, it's fake IDs. So this is the address, this Jamie's Cororoma, Cororoma, that uh, bounced back as undeliverable with uh, Chinese characters on it. And so it looks to me like this DC cop is on the take from the CCP. So it's just like the infection is everywhere. And so that's... Well, thank you know, God for Judicial Watch. If it, was, yeah. if it wasn't for oh them, we wouldn't know any of this. And then there's these redacted names. You know, we want yeah. true transparency here. We don't want all these redactions. And they're just showing us... Uh, they're showing us just what they, they're allowing us to see. So there's so much more behind all of this. Uh, we're yeah. just scratching the surface. It's, it's terrifying. I mean, we are in a war and to, to act outraged that uh, our legal system isn't working anymore is I don't think that that's where we should be anymore. This is war and we need to be more like uh, Patrick King. Okay. So um, my next story is uh, it's about Dr. Shiva. Uh, Ayudurai, I, people just call him Dr. Shiva because his last name is sort of complicated. So he discovered, <laughs> this is very interesting because he's an MIT professor. He's, he's uh, got like three, he's got three PhDs. He's an incredibly brilliant guy. Uh, so he has, uh, he, he, he has a medical degree and he has a computer sciences. You know, he, he claims to be the inventor of email when he was 14 years old, possible. Anyway, so he, was able to hack into Twitter and he discovered the existence of a secretive long fuse report is what it's called that exposes the Twitter government collusion. So um, it's being described as, as momentous of a discovery as the Pentagon Papers. And so this uh, Dr. Shiva, who's an MIT professor and one time candidate for Massachusetts Senator was able to uncover Twitter's partner support portal with a special porter portal offered for certain governmental entities so that government officials can flag and delete content that they dislike for any reason. So it's not even Twitter that's doing this stuff to us. <laughs> it's, it's nefarious. Yeah, it's Twitter enabling People, the government yeah. to flag content that they don't like. So Twitter's acting like a government agency. The way this right. was discovered was because Dr. Shiva running for Senate as a Republican uh, you know, he he said that there was fraud committed, but they deleted the, the digital ballots, so he couldn't even find out if there was fraud because they deleted the evidence of the fraud. So now he's he's just you know trying to get to the bottom of what happened, and in the process, he found out about this partner portal. Right, and so and, and when he discovered it, he filed a federal lawsuit, 
which is uh, alleging that his uh, federal civil rights were violated when the government silenced his political speech in order to affect an election. And that's the, the key part. They don't care about violating your speech, uh, but it's more when you start bringing in the FEC, who actually has a friendly guy in charge of it, that um, you start to maybe be able to nail these guys to the wall, hopefully. So uh, legal observers noted back in May that the judge is signaling that Twitter's days of claiming it as a private company are are coming to an end and uh, that the case could spell the end of the Section 230 protections for the social media giants. And just for people uh, out there who don't know what Section 230 is, it's a provision of the Communications Decency Act of 1996 that gives internet and social media companies legal immunity from lawsuits due to the content they publish. It also, uh, it's they don't have to pay royalties on uh, content. That's a big thing because, you know, that's the difference between like cable TV or a TV station, they have to pay for the artistic rights of everything. And that's what allows memes and clips of things to be able to be posted online. So a lot is gonna to have to change in the legal architecture of the internet to, you know, not only protect free speech, but to protect the internet as we know it. And uh, we'll see if we, if we get there, I hope so. Uh, anyway, so Section 230 gives companies like Facebook and Twitter a way to dismiss lawsuits, but it also gives them the ability to act with impunity so that their actions cannot be legally challenged. And these companies have clearly abused this immunity by suppressing dissidents and specifically conservative views, viewpoints, and journalism. I personally have been deplatformed by seven big tech companies just in the past two years, you know, after having Facebook accounts for, you know, nearly 20 years. I mean, I, I was, you know, it was never a problem until, you know, they started doing this, uh, you know, global pharmaceutical coup d'etat on, on everyone. But anyways, and also not until of, Trump was running for office. <laughs> Is that the that height of it. the election that we all got deplatformed? No, that, that's when I got demonetized in, uh, mid, in mid 2015. I think I, I'm, did something favorable about Trump because I was shocked. You know, I lived in New York City most of my life and I thought he was obnoxious. But actually he was saying things that I agreed with. And so I said something good about him in my daily newsletter and I was demonetized 90% like boom, like boom, that same month by, by Google. And that's where I made 100% of my income at the time. So that was the first time. And I've just been dealing with, uh, you know, demonetization and deplatforming for six years now. It's been a constant war that I've been in. As I said, I was deplatformed by my main advertising company last week and basically worked for two months for free. Um, just awful what's what's going on, but really nothing compared to people who've been vaxxed, you know, and lost their family members and things. Um, but anyway, just to get down to the, the soul of the case here, it's because Dr. Shiva did not argue about Twitter's terms of service Everything will instead hinge on the degree of the interaction between Twitter and the state government of Massachusetts. And so it'll be very interesting to see what happens with this case, because it's not like Massachusetts Donald Trump, is Donald Trump, you know, with the American First Policy Institute, just filed a class action lawsuit against the three big tech monopolies. And he's also using the same legal case that they're acting as government agencies. Good. Well, yeah, we needed to find a way to to get in there because it's just, uh, it's been really jerry-rigged. Um, and so my, my last story is uh, for those wondering what's going on with the Arizona election audit, um, Arizona State Senator Wendy Rogers explains 
where we are in the audit process and where we're going in video number one, please. Um, I'm in Phoenix now near the Capitol. I came down here from Flagstaff to be on hand uh, for a uh, day before yesterday when the subpoenas uh, were supposed to have been answered at 1 p.m. And just to sort of take you to the present and then back in time, uh, those subpoenas were uh, sent out by us, the Arizona State Senate, President Karen Fan, who is my colleague, another state senator, a rural senator, as am I. Uh, there are very few of us. And uh, she sent that out to Dominion and to the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors to get them to give us uh, pieces of information and passwords and access that we still require uh, to complete the audit. They essentially uh, blew us off. They sent us two letters back right uh, punctually uh, uh, at one o'clock in the afternoon to basically say, go pound sand. Um, they were very disrespectful in tone. Uh, they were very condescending and they uh, put on the impression that uh, they are above the law and that uh, they don't work for us. And it was absolutely appalling and disgusting. And so, you know, you, you have to understand that we, the people, are the ones who need to hold this process accountable. Yeah, they, and don't, so, they, they might not work for you. That could be right. But they work for me and they work for that's every right. citizen of America, of well, Arizona and in the United States of America, that's who they work for. And those are the people, I believe on your Twitter, I saw you say Patriots activate. That's exactly what needs to happen. People need to activate right now. Do they not? Absolutely. And that's a call to action. That's to let your legislators know where you stand. Uh, I mentioned on an interview yesterday that I went into the office to find a box full of Kona coffee from Hilo, the big island, from a 100% disabled Marine, who sent me that with a long letter saying, Senator Rogers, I basically don't have anyone to represent me here where I am in Hawaii. So I'm counting on you to uh, carry the ball forward. And so I take this obligation freely and without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, as we say in our original oath when we joined the military. Uh, but for such a time as this, if you had told me two years ago, hey, Wendy Rogers, you're going to be at the pointy tip of the spear. You're going to be in a state Senate, which will be the only chamber of the only state, which will conduct an audit of 2.1 million ballots of the presidential election, which will figure prominently in getting to the truth of the corruption of 2020. I would have looked at you incredulously and said, what? And so here I am, and here we are with a one-vote majority, 16 to 14 in the Arizona Senate, conducting this audit of one county's worth of votes, not even a county that voted for me. I represent northern Arizona, parts of four other rural counties. And uh, we're getting to the bottom of it. We definitely will get to the truth. Are the numbers there? I mean... Can you see the proof? You can say unequivocally, definitively that there was fraud in this election, right? I mean, that's we all know that, that in our heart of hearts. But do you have it? Have you seen it? We haven't concluded yet to be able to draw that kind of conclusion. But the anomalies are abundant. For example, you've probably heard about the 74,000 ballots yes. that were sent in that were never sent out to begin with. 
That's hugely anomalous. Plus, you have thousands of ballots that were filled out with people who weren't registered to vote in time statutorily for the October 15th pre-deadline. You also have people, thousands of people who voted and then mysteriously dropped off the voter rolls in December. So you have so many inexplicable anomalies. And what's really sort of rich is that they put that on us to explain? No. Maricopa County needs to explain that. And the only thing they seem to react with is uh, snark and disrespect, which tells us definitely they are hiding things, tells us definitely that we must pursue tenaciously and resolutely uh, to get to the bottom. And we will not. Wow, what a true patriot. She's incredible. She's a hero. She's amazing. She was a transport pilot for Marines. She was, uh, she flew those C-130s, those huge, you know, those humongous planes. Anyway, so, so she has gone ahead and called for decertification of the 2020 election in Arizona and has called for the arrest of the Maricopa County supervisors, these people she's talking about, who have not complied with her subpoena and who she says are disobeying the law. So, um, because she's really not getting any action from Maricopa County whatsoever. She has forwarded their infractions to the Arizona Attorney General. And if they are found to be non-compliant, Maricopa County will be docked about $63 million in the state's uh, revenue. So that's, that's, we'll see what happens there. And she says it is the Arizona State Legislature, not the Governor Doug Ducey, who signed off on the election that is the entity that has the authority to decertify uh, the 2020 election. And he actually has no uh, role in signing off on the decertification. It is entirely up to the legislature um, with, uh, with majorities, which she says they do not have. Right now, there's currently a one vote majority in the state house, uh, the state house and state senate. So that's where they are at the moment, but uh, what, people don't understand is that Arizona state's legislature only operates six months out of the year and they adjourned in June and will not be back. They will not be back in session until January. So they would not be able to vote on the decertification until then. However, she says that as the vice chairman of the judiciary committee, which she is, they are a standing committee and they can follow the processes and accept and integrate the information that they get from the audit uh, which is still, she says, is analyzing the data. They're still waiting for this Dominion, uh, the Dominion passwords and things. And Dominion is saying, no, it's a trade secret and we don't need to give that to you, which is completely insane. It seems like everyone on the deep state side is just trying to stonewall, delay. You know, this is just their tactic to try to just keep us at bay. Yeah, absolutely. So it looks like they'll be getting something. Uh, they'll be producing a report within in about two weeks, which interestingly is uh, around the same time that uh, we, we know that Mike Lindell's, uh, his, the, the, the advertisement that was just running before on this show was talking about on the 10th, 11th and 12th, which is also the time. So that's, it's like everything is gonna come to a head <laughs> on, these, on these days coming, starting at about you know a week and a half. And um, the audit results from Arizona, Mike Lindell's, thing that also shows not only Arizona, but many states, uh, you know, the fraud that occurred, like just 
slam dunk evidence is, is what he says he's going to show. And, um, and also the, uh, it's not the FCC or is it, it's FEMA, you know, the emergency broadcast system previously only included, um, sort of cable news channels and stuff, but now they're integrating the phones and, and the text messages and the internet and stuff. And so there's going to be a test of that on the 11th of August, which is uh, just a few days from now. It's a week from now. And, um, there is all kinds of rumors, uh, like Alex Jones show today is, and the thing that I ran from Cliff High, and this is also coming from Jack Posobiec, who has a, who has a source in the in the White House. He has a deep throat in the White House, who's telling him that they are, uh, the Biden White House is going to announce another lockdown on the 11th, and that's the same day that there be this emergency broadcast system thing is going to happen. There have been a lot of rumors about. Potentially, uh, the whole grid will power down, or the internet will power down, or both, and your phones will power. Everything will power down. So we don't know. Anything is possible at this point with uh, this. You it's know, certainly clown coming world. to a crescendo. Both yeah. sides. We you know this is a war with two sides, and and you've got the deep state side. They're pushing this whole vaccine mandates and lockdowns and restrictions and wear a mask and you can't go to school and you can't do anything. And then on the White Hat side, you have all the declassifications and the audits and all of the mm -hmm. exposing the crimes. And so, yeah, they're all happening at once. So it's going to be really interesting to, to watch this unfold. Any final Indeed. thoughts? I think just everyone uh, needs to follow the example of Patrick King. What a fabulous example. You know, he, we, we I am Patrick King. <laughs> like, je suis Patrick King. I love it. And really just Absolutely. thank him for, for showing up today. I just, I think it's phenomenal. I want to get the links to his uh, filings so that I can post that in my article. I have people who want to see that. Like, so hopefully we can get that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Alexandra Bruce from ForbiddenKnowledgeTV.net. She's been deplatformed, demonetized. So go to her site, support her work. Thank you so much. We're going to go to a commercial break and we'll be back for my final thoughts. Helping their customers achieve global connectivity is the driving force behind this brand story. Satellite phones from Whenever Communications provide voice, SMS, and data services without the need for cellular network. So travel with confidence, knowing you're covered absolutely anywhere on Earth. Satellite communications uh, for me started after a disaster that happened in Indonesia. At the time I was in communications, but more of on a local cellular communications. We started looking for different alternatives uh, to stay connected. Cell towers go down, landlines are no longer available and we came across technology of satellite communications, uh, everything from voice to data. We give people the ability to communicate wherever they want to go, whether it's just helping somebody work remotely or stay safe or feel safe if they're going offshore or have more redundancy for their business. So being able to give people that communications and reliability is really joy mine. Visit privatesatphone.com today for a free satellite phone with the purchase of a monthly service plan. Alexandra Bruce said it well when she said, we all need to be like Patrick King. That has been the recurring theme here on American Media Periscope, just encouraging patriots to stand up. Now, Patrick King is not a lawyer. He's not a doctor. 
He's not an expert in any certain field, but he is a regular Canadian citizen who was willing to protest. He was willing to go out there and assemble and exercise his rights. They tried to fine him for doing so. And instead of just laying down and paying the government fine, he stood up for himself in the court of law and he asked the right questions. Because of his efforts, partially, his province has stopped COVID restrictions. He says to us in the audience, he says, what are they going to do? Just put me in jail? That's fine. I'll probably get everyone in jail to rise up. He's willing to take a risk. Remember our founding fathers. They were willing to fight. They were willing to go to war. They were willing to cross a frozen river in the middle of the night and go against the most powerful army in the world. And all that we're asking is for patriots to say no. Do not comply. That is how we win this. This is how we win back our country and gain back our freedoms because tyrants never give up their authority easily. Freedom has to be taken back. So that's the theme for today. Thank you for watching. Tomorrow, we've got the Sean Morgan Report. This is my weekly show, Fridays, 6 p.m. Eastern, where I dive deeper, uh, going into anonymous research, going into the Q stuff, you know, looking at the breaking news from a different context, really being willing to go down the rabbit hole in a way that I don't do on Making Sense of the Madness. And then on Monday, James Grunvig and I are going to be interviewing Juan O'Savin about his latest intel. So that's a must-watch show. Uh, Juan is going to be on for the full 90 minutes. So that's that's going to be a really, really good show. So I look forward to everyone being here on Monday for the 107 interview. And until then, God bless. Have a good night.